studios of WMYU. This is In Depth on Sports. Welcome back, everybody. This is our first live show of 2022. It is so great to be back. Uh, very excited to just talk sports over the last few weeks of what has been a phenomenal, you know, last couple of weeks in the world of sports, of course. But let, let's face it, what, what, what do you think we're going to talk about? We're going to talk about what I would argue is the greatest weekend of football in, I would say, NFL history. It, it, it could be debated. There are some. There were some great uh, AFC NFC Championship weekends that were absolutely just remarkable over the last 15, 20 years or so. But let's face it, we had four games with the closest margin of victory in NFL history for a four-game span. You had eight teams, four game-winning drives, three upsets, two crazy comebacks, and. I would say the greatest, one of the greatest weekends in NFL history. And we're going to break this all down for you today. Uh, it is an NFL special right now. This is all we're doing. This is going to be a full hour on the slate of NFL games from the divisional round of the NFL playoffs. We're going to preview the cha- the AFC and NFC championship going forward. We're also actually, well, let's, uh, I'm going to scratch that a little bit. We are, I do want to get in a little bit to the Hall of Fame announcement that's going to be happening uh, later today. We're definitely going to get into that a little bit, um, but uh, definitely going to be a majority NFL show. No guests this week. It is all sports for the entire time, and let's get after it right now. NFL playoffs, I mean, you know, let's let's face it here. We're going into this weekend, right? And we have you have the Bengals going up against Tennessee in a matchup that is sort of the runt of the litter, I would say. I mean, it wasn't necessarily the um sort of the the one everyone was looking forward to the most. I think really Chiefs Bills and Bucks Rams were really the ones that most people were most excited about. And let's face it, they they certainly lived up to their expectations um in two of the greatest games I've ever seen. I mean, that was absolutely astonishing to see that and a lot of implications with those two games and then of course you had Green Bay San Francisco where you know you're thinking it's this is Green Bay's game they're at home this favors them completely and then it well I mean it was a complete uh, the complete opposite of that with special teams playing a major as the real X factor of this whole thing and you know we're going to get into that but I want to start first with the Bengals game because we're going to go through each of the four games we're going to break down sort of the performances by Joe Burrow we're going to talk about about, obviously, the special teams in the Packers and 49ers game. We're going to talk about Tom Brady's tremendous comeback against Tampa, against uh, against Los Angeles. And, you know, you think, of course, you know, it's Tom Brady, and we've seen this before. We're going to get into that, of course. Uh, just so, so many things to talk about with this. And then, of course, the Chiefs-Bills game, which is arguably the greatest NFL game of the last 10 years or so. I mean, this is this is a tremendous game uh, between the two quarterbacks that I would say now headline the league as sort of the young guns that are coming into it as the um sort of the new face of the NFL as Brady, Rodgers, Breeze sort of sort of leave or getting closer to leaving the game. Breeze already left. Uh, but you're sort of the legacy guys sort of coming to the end of their careers. Mahomes and Allen are the ones who have come into it as sort of the the most exciting ones that we see in this terms uh, in terms of younger talent. And you know, I really want to bring into the fact that um this this weekend was supposed to be a solid divisional round, and it turned into something unbelievable. So let's start with Cincinnati, Tennessee. So Joe Burrow, it's a 19, the Bengals take out a 1916 victory on, well, first off, we got to talk Evan McPherson, actually, because his kicking performance, he has been lights out all season, one of the best kickers in the NFL. You know, he comes into this thinking that 
okay, this is a uh, this is a potent offense. It's really the role of this is to kick extra points. It's not necessarily going to be a field goal dependent team, and that was a lot different than what we thought. I mean, Joe Burrow had a great performance, 348 yards, catching up with his favorite targets, Jamar Chase and T. Higgins, of course. And you know, T. and uh, and T. and Jamar combined for 204 yards with 12 receptions, and. You figure going into it that it's Jamar Chase's show. Uh, it, it still is. I mean, he's gonna, he's definitely gonna win rookie of the year. I mean, this, the performances he came through with in the last five weeks of the season were astronomically phenomenal. I mean, this is better than any rookie wide receiver, some of the best rookie wide per- receiver performances in history. I mean, when you look at guys like Randy Moss in their rookie year, you see similarities to Jamar Chase. I mean, these sort of, this, this, this weapon that, that defenses, even experienced corners have difficulty stopping. And while the Titans secondary is good, it's not great. I mean, they couldn't handle it. They, they, it was Joe Burrow's time to shine, 348 yards. But what I do want to talk about is the fact that the defensive line for Tennessee absolutely lit up lit up Joe Burrow. He was sacked nine times, and it didn't seem to phase him that much. I mean, Cincinnati, with their weakened um, defensive line as a result of injuries, they couldn't really put a hit on Ryan Tannehill. And, you know, on the other side of things, you have Burrow, who is, you know, trying to pull off an upset here, and he his offensive line has not really given him a lot of help. I mean, this was a game where you think that you know, you, you're sacked nine times. It's not going to work out for you, but it did. That's what's so remarkable here. Burrow managed to cap off a pretty solid performance, hitting his receivers. He made a big play to DeMar, to DeMar Chase at the end of the game and put his team in a position to win. And, you know, that's something that Ryan Tannehill really couldn't do throughout the entirety of the game. I mean, he he threw an interception with 20 seconds left, and uh, that was sort of the nail in the coffin for them. And, you know, when you have a team like... Tennessee, who has been favorite throughout a favorite throughout the entire year, sure they weren't the best high seeded team throughout this entire thing. I mean, tennis. Uh, I would say Kansas City and Buffalo are probably better teams than Tennessee. But you'd figure that against a team like Cincinnati, it would have been a different kind of game. I mean, I know Cincinnati was favored, but with Cincinnati's momentum, it was going to be a close game, and it was. But it came down to who was the big play quarterback, and Joe Burrow has clearly shown that. He has shaken off what a lot of uh, pundits have said about him as sort of not being that guy who can lead a team to a Super Bowl just yet. And now you're in a position where you're going to go have to go up against Kansas City, which is going to be a very, very difficult, um, a very difficult challenge for him. But he proved that despite facing so much opposition, having a lackluster, a lackluster showing by his offensive line, he still made the big plays when he needed to, and they managed to pull it out. And I think Cincinnati is a team that. I think America can get behind. I think they're the sort of organization that has this underdog quality to them because they're coming out of nowhere. They haven't had a playoff, a successful playoff run since the 80s. I mean, they've continued to lose in the first round in the Marvin Lewis era back when it was Andy Dalton and A.J. Green running things for them. And, you know, they've had some success but couldn't really find that next step in the playoffs. And now they have with a quarterback who is in just his second season in the league and has really come down to, I would say, Fitting himself into that, I would say, not the elite tier, but I would say he's right below that. And, you know, he'll get there. He'll definitely get to that elite tier. I don't know if I can put him in that category just yet, but this is the sort of thing that puts you in that category. When you are a young team, you have young weapons, and you're able to utilize them so effectively so that you can beat a top seed and then go up against 
I would say the best team or the team with the best odds to win the Super Bowl right now, that's something that I don't think anyone can take away from him and can certainly shake off any thoughts of a bust that that were around Joe Burrow. He is not he is going to be a face in the NFL for the next 10 years. I can guarantee you that right now. And, you know, on the other side of things, you have Ryan Tannehill, who is a reasonably good quarterback. But when you compare a team like Tennessee to a team like Kansas City or Buffalo, they need you need a better quarterback than Ryan Tannehill. I mean, think about the last five years or so. It's been Tannehill and Marcus Mariota. Now, Mariota was a high draft pick. He was in the picks with uh, he was picked right after Jameis Winston back in 2015, I believe. And, you know, this was he was a he was an option quarterback coming out of Oregon who had had great success with him and he was going into a situation where he knew he would have to step up to be the next face of the franchise and he didn't he had some good seasons but let's face it who was who was carrying that the offense it was derrick henry derrick henry has is established himself as probably either the best or the second best running back in the nfl and you know when you have a good quarterback and a great running back you need something that can sort of offset that you have a good defense you have great weapons like aj brown who looked great even after Tannehill was not necessarily throwing him the best passes i mean aj brown came up big julio jones had some good receptions and if you want to take that next step as an organization you need a better quarterback let's face it and I don't think with their draft they're going to make that kind of change. I mean, they're already pretty successful right now. I don't see them taking someone like a Kenny Pickett or a Matt Carl. But, you know, this is a this is an organization that has wanted to get to the big to get to the AFC championship game or even a Super Bowl. And yet they have yet to do so. I mean, it hasn't been since the days of Steve McNair that Tennessee has had such success. I mean, they didn't really have any success with Vince Young back there. They had moderate success, we'll say. And, you know, back when they had McNair back in the Music City Miracle days, that was the Tennessee organization that was sort of going to propel them to a Super Bowl, and it didn't work out. And now you're in the similar situation where you have a reasonably good quarterback, great weapons around him, but Tannehill is not ready to take that next step. He's a veteran, but he's not in that category where you're not going to throw where you're going to have somebody who if you want to win those big games you you can't throw an interception on the first play of the game and lose on the last play of the game with it so definitely in terms of that Bengals tennessee game it was a great game and you know what's so awesome about the nfl this season is that even when you have this great first game where you win on that game-winning drive game-winning field goal you still have three more games that were just as if not better than the first slate the first game on the slate and it was just I was just so ex- I was I was excited. I was thrilled. I was I know for the league it's going to be huge for AFC championship ratings and especially Super Bowl ratings which have been have been tipping downwards in the last 5 years or so. I mean you had a you had a point where the Super Bowl was averaging about 100 million viewers uh in the made it to late 2010s and now as of late ever since Super Bowl 53 where you had that lackluster 9-3 game between New England and Los Angeles Things started to tip down a little bit. You started backing down. The ratings went a little soft. And now you're in a position where the league is as hot as it's ever been. You're in a position where you had four games that everyone was talking about. It overshadowed everything on the sports slate, whether it was the NBA slate or the NHL slate or the Hall of Fame announcement and the MLB. This is what people are focusing on right now. And if you're the NFL, you have to know that if you're not getting $100 million for the Super Bowl, you're failing as a league. And... 
when you have such great four game, such a great slate of four games, this is this is a golden marketing opportunity. And if the NFL or Goodell manages to screw this up, and you see flatline ratings for the AFC Championship, NFC Championship, or Super Bowl, I think there are going to be a lot more questions than answers in terms of the league's success and popularity going forward. But regardless, that's a question for down the road, and we got to focus on the next game, which is Green Bay against San Francisco. And you know, these are two teams that could not be more different than one another. I mean, you have let, let's look at one side of things here. You have Green Bay who is it's let's face it, it's it's Aaron Rodgers' team. And when you're in a position where you are the favorite going into the into the playoffs, you have to know that anything less than a Super Bowl appearance is probably a failure. And you know, it was not necessarily Rodgers' fault that they lost that game. Let's face it, it was the special teams, clearly. I mean, the, the I think this summarizes it perfectly. But if you look at the last play of the game where Robbie Gold kicks the field goal, there's 10 men on the field. There's supposed to be 11. Uh, this, this is Matt LaFleur, I, I mean, is on the hot seat, even though he had a pretty good season. I mean, this was a team that was number one in the in the NFC. And you're you're in a position where you can't even manage to get your whole team out on the field for the game winning field goal. Plus, you have blocked punts, missed uh, missed field goals. It was a it was a disaster of a game. They gave up 10 points on special teams. This was granted, granted. It was a weather game. It was snow. But this is this is the Packers. They should be accustomed to this. And the Packers marched down the field where you get a quick seven points on the board in the early part of the game. You think, okay, this is their game. We're going to have the Packers playing, playing against either Tampa Bay or L.A. In the, in the NFC Championship game. That's what it looked like going forward. And I was pretty confident with that. And, I, you know, if you take Green Bay in that game, you're feeling pretty good. But... They punted six times afterward. You fumble, and you can barely put up three points for the rest of the game? It's astonishing to me that if you're Rodgers, you have a good running back in A.J. Dillon. He has shown up out of Boston College, for that matter, a team that has yet to put, has, hasn't put out any great talent in the NFL in 10, 15 years. I mean, A.J. AJ Dillon has turned into a very solid running back, along with Aaron Jones for that Green Bay team. And you can only score 10 points? I mean, this is astonishing that this team that was so heavily favored going into this game, I think it was a two-touchdown favorite, that they couldn't manage to do anything against the San Francisco team, who, granted, has been pretty solid this season, but 13 points? Come on! It's astonishing to me. It, It really is. And, you know, with the special team's failures, plus the inability to score in these crucial moments, which Rodgers has done for his entire career, I mean, there are moments that... People from our, from my generation just know like the back of their hand. I mean, the pass from Rodgers to Rodgers, Richard Rodgers, back a long time ago in the game against the Arizona Cardinals, uh, or excuse me, the Detroit Lions, um, that was... That was an iconic moment, a throw into the end zone, the heave, the miracles. Rodgers has done this for his entire career. It's why people probably think of him as the best quarterback in the NFL. I mean, there are arguments to be made for guys like Mahomes or Brady, but, I mean, he's up there. This is He's the elite tier. He's a top three guy, whether, no matter what way you look at it. And 
this was a disappointment where in a season where you didn't know if he was actually going to play. If you remember back in August, I mean, there were questions whether or not he would be returning to the Packers. He eventually did. It was supposed to be either his last ride or maybe something that would be sort of an indication that he was ready to move on from Green Bay. And he failed in this. I mean, this is the Packers haven't won a Super Bowl since Super Bowl 45. It's been almost 11 years now. And when you have such great weapons surrounding him, it's interesting. If you want to compare them as an organization, look at the Yankees. It's the same thing. You have great talent. You have guys like Devontae Adams, Jordy Nelson, uh, uh, Randall Cobb, uh, guys who have come through this organization, have been bona fide stars, established themselves in the league as these great players, and yet you still manage to chem- can't come away with a championship since 2010? I mean, for the Yankees, it's 2009, and it's the same thing. You have great players come through. You have Teixeira, Cano, A-Rod. These are awesome awesome players that in in many ways, two out of the three of them are Hall of Famers. And in the same case, Rodgers is certainly going to be a Hall of Famer. I think a guy like Jordy Nelson has a reasonably good shot of being a Hall of Famer. Devontae Adams, if he keeps doing this for the rest of his career, could see that too. Great talent for the entirety of this dynasty run that should be a dynasty, but it never was. Ten years of playoff appearances and no Super Bowl appearances. No World Series appearances for the Yankees, no Super Bowl appearances for the Packers. And it's the same thing. And, you know, if we look on the other side of things, you have the Niners offense, which didn't really do much, but they got the points when they needed to. Robbie Gold ends the game. He sinks the 40-yard field, the 45-yard field goal. And by the way, just to note, he has still yet to miss a field goal in his entire NFL career in the postseason. That's remarkable considering that he's a veteran with not a ton of kick power, He's still managed to be as successful as anyone could be in the postseason. And even if you look at a guy like Vinatieri or Gostowski or um, or Justin Tucker, I mean, these are the sort of the stars of the NFL kicking uh, regime over the last 10 years or so. And Robbie Gold is the one who has yet to miss one in the postseason. It, it, it's, it stems, it doesn't really make logical sense. I mean, if you told me that 10 years ago, I wouldn't have believed you, but that's the way it is. I mean, Gold played for teams like the Bears and the Giants and now with the Niners, and he, he did his job every single time he went out there. And when you have two polar opposites here, you have a 49ers special teams team that is clicking on all cylinders, and you have a Green Bay team that has absolutely imploded on that front, it, it just, that's the outcome. That's the outcome. You have a close low-scoring game where the team that actually manages to execute in the big moments wins the game. I mean, uh, it, it's... Uh, Rodgers Rogers goes 20 for 28, and, mind you, he is 0 for 0 and 4 against the 49ers in his entire playoff career. It's kryptonite to him, and I, I, I'm, I'm stunned to think that Rodgers now may never get another Super Bowl in Green Bay. We don't know what's going to happen with his future. We're going to talk about that a little bit later when we go into um, the future for Tom Brady, I mean, that's also another big question. But still, this is this is the point where this was supposed to be their year and it didn't work out. And now you have an NSC championship game where it's going to be a West Coast showdown between San Francisco and Los Angeles, which I'm really excited for. But I'm also stunned to think that a team that was so heavily favored to make the Super Bowl this year is not going to with Aaron Rodgers thinking about leaving for a team like Pittsburgh or Denver. And it's just 
as a Packers fan, you have to just be disappointed, stunned, and almost angry at how the future of this franchise is either looking or has gone over the last 10 years or so. But definitely going to talk about Rodgers and Brady in tandem when we discuss the quarterback futures. But we got to go to the next one. We got to go to the next one. I just, I'm so excited to just talk about these last four games here. I mean, in my entire life, I've never seen such an amazing weekend of NFL football. And now we're going into Tampa Bay against LA. And how how crazy was the ending here? Because all right, all right, let, let's let's paint a word picture here. It's twenty-seven to three in the third quarter. It's twenty-seven to three in the third quarter. Let let's let's I'm gonna say it one more time. It was twenty-seven to three in the third quarter. Does, does this sound familiar? Does this sound like twenty-eight to three in the third quarter of Super Bowl Fifty One? I mean, this is this is this is Tom Brady's time where you think, okay, it's over, it's over. It's a twenty-four point game with less than twenty minutes to go. There's no way it's going to happen, but but it's coming. It just you can see it. You can see it. That first let let's start with Cooper Cup's fumble. Okay, Cooper Cup, great catch, great receiver, best receiver in the NFL this year. Makes the mistake. He grabs the pass. He's going out of bounds. He loses the ball. Tampa Bay picks it up, okay? Now you have a quick seven-play drive, and Leonard Fournette scores the touchdown, okay? By the way, Fournette, seven straight postseason games with a touchdown. That's everything you could want in a running back, considering all the injuries that have happened to Fournette over the course of his career. Now sort of finding his place in that Tampa Bay organization and has scored a touchdown in every single game that he has played for Tampa Bay. Pretty remarkable, but... So, now you have a 27-3, you have the score, okay? Now it's 27, we, by the way, also, I should, I should mention there was a field goal before that. 27-6, then we have Fournette with the touchdown, 27-13, okay? Now, now, you know, if you're the Rams, you're feeling, you're feeling the pressure, okay? This is, now you're at a point, uh, where, you know, you know Brady can do this, and you have to sort of put a stopgap on this as, uh, to either score now, make it a, make it a three score game, and then, and then end it immediately. And that's not what they did. That's not what they did. I mean, so now it's 27 to 13. The Rams go a quick three and out, end the quarter. Tampa Bay gets the ball. And so, so here's, here's what's interesting here. So Tampa Bay gets the ball to start the fourth quarter, right? He fumbles the ball. Von Miller picks it up. I mean, this is, this is a golden opportunity for them. You can end it right here. You're up by two scores. You're in pretty good field position. Now you got to put it in the end zone and end it right here. And, and now it's like, okay, let's put this in the end zone. And you don't. You make, one of the worst mistakes you can make in an NFL football game, which is a a snap that goes over the head of the quarterback. And if you remember, back in the Super Bowl uh, where we had Broncos Seahawks about seven, eight years ago, first play of the game, Peyton Manning has a ball snapped way over his head and it goes into the end zone. And that was an absolute disaster for the Buc- the Broncos loss, the 43-8 to loss in that Super Bowl. But... You sort of saw the similarities with Stafford. I mean, okay, you get the ball, first play, over his head, and Tampa Bay recovers it again. So it was a it was a plethora of missed opportunities there. And so now, okay, so now Tampa Bay gets the ball back, right? You go to Gronkowski over the middle. You pass to Fournette. You look pretty solid. Then you get sacked. But, but 
you have a fourth down play where you think, okay, now we got to punch this in the end zone. We're running out of time. He throws deep to Evans, but the penalty's called on Eric Weddle, and it's called, he's called for unnecessary roughness. Now, at the time when I was watching this, I thought this was a disastrous pass interference call that was going to absolutely kill LA's chances, and it was going to be that momentum would keep going. But turnover on downs. It's unnecessary roughness, but it's enforced after the play. So... You have L.A. getting the ball back again and another opportunity to score. They take it down the field. Matt Gay has the opportunity for the field goal. He misses the field goal. He comes up short. It, these opportunities for L.A. Now, I know it worked out for them, obviously, in the end. But it's just all these opportunities that came their way. It's just so remarkable to me that they couldn't convert on any of them. And now you're going into a game where you're going to play San Francisco. And, yes, you're the favorite team. But... I mean, these mistakes have to weigh on an organization deeply. I mean, this is, these are blatantly horrible things that could happen to a team and, and the worst possible scenarios, and it worked out for them. But wow, I mean, this is, this is something that Sean McVay is going to have to address with his team exclusively for the next week or so and how they can make sure they're not going to make any of these mistakes again because if they do, I mean, I don't, I don't see any other scenario where if it's a close game, they lose. And, you know, with, with a huge cushion, it saved them. But if it's 27 to 13 or 27 to 16 to start in that scenario, it's, it's disaster waiting to happen. They would have lost that game. But I digress. So he misses the field goal, right? Okay, now Brady gets the ball back again. Opportunity, can't confirm. Okay, Rams get the ball back again. Three and out, again, okay? You're down to four minutes now, and you still have a two-score lead. You think you're fine, but Brady connects with Mike Evans for the 55-yard touchdown on their next opportunity. So now it's 27-20, to 20, but the Bucks need something crazy to happen, if, even if they want the ball back. And of course, of course, Cam Akers fumbles, and the Bucks again recover the ball I, I just when i'm watching this it's like a slow painful death i mean you've seen tom brady do this every single year of my life it happens every year every year they're always they always find a way to make their way in into these games where you think it's over i mean there are exceptions let's face it there are exceptions super bowl 42 against the giants 46 against the giants the loss against tampa against tennessee in the playoffs come years ago and uh the super bowl lost to the eagles but you stole the game against the rams when super bowl 53 you get the game against the falcons where they come back down 28 to 3 that's another super bowl the game of uh, the, the new england game where where russell wilson throws the interception to malcolm butler another it, it's just these patriot tom brady bucks whatever you want to call it these moments where tom brady is involved it almost seems like he has this magic this magic ability so that they find a way to come back it, it's just it's like he has magic powers or something. I know it sounds crazy when I say it like that, but I just, it's amazing that every single time, every single time, they find a way to get back in games because of some crazy moments. And what do you know? We have crazy moments in this game with fumbles, missed field goals. And so it's 27 to 20, right? Again, 
Cam Akers fumbles the ball, and the Bucks don't miss this opportunity. Fournette scores again on fourth and one to tie the game up. And suddenly, you know, it's a 27-3 game. And, up, oh, what do you know? It's tied. It's tied again. It's, and, I, and honestly, and honestly, when when this game was tied, I thought, okay, this is Tom Brady's going to do it, right? I, I, once you come back from 24 points, I'd be shocked to see the Rams stop this momentum. But Matthew Stafford comes out on the field, and this is probably the biggest drive of his life. Because he never had any opportunities in Detroit to come up in these big moments. And granted, when you saw Stafford out there this week, he looked like what he should be after coming out of an, as a number one overall pick in 09 out of Georgia to the Lions, never getting his fair shot with a good organization, finally has his chance with the Rams. And this is going to be a career-defining drive, right? It, the season's on the line. And, you know, first play finds Cooper Cup for 20 yards, and now you're on your own 44. Now, next play, all-out blitz coming, and he finds Cup again, fighting across the middle for a 44-yard gain. And this beautiful, this beautiful pass where Cooper Cup just reaches out and catches it like he's been doing all season. And there it is. Now you're in the red zone, and it's time. You need to spike the ball. And by the way, when they're running down the field, just to spike the ball, by the way. I mean, that's just all the adrenaline from that moment just kind of seeped in. And you could see how fast everyone was moving to just get down the field and spike the ball. I mean, I, I don't know if anyone saw this video of the Lions fan rooting for Stafford where they have to get down the field and he's just jumping up and down, hoping that he can spike the ball before time expires because all the excitement is coming in. I was just, that summed up the game right there. And they spike the ball with three seconds left. Matt Gay got to hit the chip shot. What does he do? And he hits it. And and that was it. And all that momentum Tom Brady had was stopped. And credit to the Rams, because even though you did blow a 24-point lead, you still managed to stop the greatest quarterback of all time from stealing a game from you and, stay, and taking away your spot in the NFC Championship game. And this was a game that will go down in the history books, uh, like many of the other games this weekend, as... As one, as one, one of the greatest fo uh, foiled comebacks in NFL history. But two, and I would say the biggest question: What does this mean for Mr. Tom Brady? This is this was this was another chance for him to have another Super Bowl to add to his great collection. I mean, Tom Brady is uh, going to be at the point where he's going to run out of fingers for his Super Bowl rings if he keeps playing the way he is. I mean, okay, granted, he's still got three more fingers to fill up, but I mean, still, the, he's done it better than anyone else in his field. He's the greatest quarterback of all time, bar none. And, you know, now you're at the point where you're 45 years old. I mean, what always shocks me when I see this is Tom Brady was born in the 1970s. I mean, this is this is no, he is no spring chicken. This is the point in his career where he has to make decisions. He's got a family. He's got a wife. I mean, this is his kids. I mean, one of his kids is almost, is four years away from college, I believe. And, you know, you as a as a father and a family man and someone who has been in the NFL since before I was born, you have to wonder, what does this mean for Tom? Is he going to walk away? I mean, we heard a lot of rumors that maybe this is it for Tom. And you know what? If it is, I don't know if I can blame him, but I also think that he's not going to walk away. He's not going to want to walk away from the game this way. Losing... Uh, losing in this way where you are so close to pulling off another amazing comeback and yet you're foiled just short. Uh, I mean, it was, it, it's, is this the last time for Tom Brady? I, I personally, we don't know. The only person that knows that right now is Tom Brady. And when he does decide to grace us with his presence and tell us what his plans are for next season, I'm sure the world will be watching like they always are when it comes to Tom Brady. And in all honesty, you know, 
no matter if he decides to come back next year and go for another shot to play in Super Bowl 57, which, granted, he'll be 45, but... I mean, this is this is going to be, by the way, I think actually he'll be 46 at that point. But anyway, regardless, it doesn't matter. He is going into a season where he is clearly the oldest player in the league. And now you're at the point where you can still perform at a high level, but now it's time is running out. Is that window, I mean, remember, remember, well, the, another thing to, to remember here, the Bucks came back with all their starters to start the 2021 season. Uh, the 2020 season, excuse me. And now, again, I don't think they're going to have everybody back like they did this year. So Brady has some decisions to make. I'm sure we will hear about them in due time, but we don't know. Will be the, will this be the last time we ever see Tom Brady walk off that field? And it's amazing to say that we'll ever see Tom Brady retire, but it is sooner rather than later, and it will be interesting to see what happens. But we still got one more game to cover, and it was, I would say, the best of the four. And... If you thought the Rams game was crazy, this game this game will blow your mind. I mean, this is this is Patrick Mahomes against Josh Allen, and Mahomes and Allen are, as I said earlier in the show, the two best young quarterbacks in the NFL. Mahomes already an MVP, already got a Super Bowl. He has established himself as this versatile offensive weapon that can find Tyree Kill for these seventy yard bombs or go for a 40-yard scramble, or throw a ridiculous sidearm pass. And by the way, credit to Jim Nance for referencing Dan Quisenberry, the old Royals reliever from the 80s. I love that reference there. With these great, by the way, if you don't know, Quisenberry was a sidearm reliever who had the same arm slot as Patrick Mahomes does when he has those sidearm passes. And that that just, by the way, I, I thought that was a great reference. But the point is here, Mahomes the best weapon any NFL team could have in this at this stage of the game. And, you know, when you're Tom Brady and you look at a guy like Patrick Mahomes, he's sort of the man who is going to be the replacement for him as the face of the league, I would say. I think Mahomes will fall into that line, but let's face it, let's talk about the game here. Mahomes against Josh Allen. By the way, Josh Allen is looking for revenge from last year because this is the most difficult challenge any quarterback can come into in a playoff scenario. Let, let's think about this here. You're going into Arrowhead, the loudest stadium in the NFL. They have the record. Actually, no. Seattle might have the record, but it's the loudest stadium in the AFC. Well, let's just leave it at that. It is a difficult challenge. You are a great quarterback, and you've already established yourself as one of the best in the league, not on the, on the Mahomes level, but certainly right there. And... You know, it's going to be a good game. We know it's going to be close. The game kicks off with lots of scoring, and, you know, by halftime, it, it's a tie game, 14-14. But we also had Tyron Matthew, the honey badger, come out with an early injury. He's out for the game. This is their best um, This is their best secondary weapon, I would say. He has been in the league for, I would say, I, would say, I think it's now six or seven years or so, and maybe, actually, I think more. But even so, this is their best weapon in the secondary, and he's now out for the rest of the game. So Josh Allen knows he can take advantage of the deep threat. And Gabriel Davis, by the way, we're going to get into him when I talk about the end of this game. But, you know, Davis comes away with four touchdowns and 200 yards. That is unheard of for an NFL performance. Greatest receiver performance in NFL history in a playoff game. Unbelievable. So... We have that. So Matthew gets hurt, right? We have a 14-14 game. It's a good. It looks like it's going to be shaping up to be another phenomenal, another phenomenal finish, and it's going to cap off the weekend with one of the greatest games we've ever seen. And it lived up to the hype and more. So it's funny because the drama in this game 
it, it starts, I would say, in the last five minutes or so because, you know, it was a good game. Let, let, don't get me wrong. This is a close game throughout the entirety. But also, keep in mind, the score at the end of the third quarter is 23-21. to 21. I mean, this is not a high-scoring, you know, back-and-forth kind of game until the last five the last five minutes or so and then overtime of course but you know overtime we're gonna get into overtime rules a little bit as terms of you know that was that was that that there have to be some questions regarding regarding the rules and that but okay so let's let's go let's break it down these last two minutes here so kansas city's up five right two minute warning 26 21 this is Josh Allen has to come up with a miracle here, and he does. He finds Gabriel Davis to take the two-point lead, and by the way, I think what was really remarkable is how Allen was able to escape a lot of these um, these these riveting efforts by Kansas City to just completely obliterate him, and he escaped every single time, and I think that was really illustrated on that two-point conversion. So they get the touchdown. He finds Davis again for the third time in this game, and he does a little tightrope act on that two-point conversion. He's running out. He's running out sort of back towards the left side of the field, away from the screen. And you can see on the sidelines, you know, this is the, – the, the Bills uh, coaching staff is just – they're sort of in their heads right now thinking he's not going to get this. He's not going to get this. Sean McDermott is telling him to move and go towards the end zone. And he finds just at the, at the nick of the corner. He finds, he finds the pass. He gets the two-point conversion, makes it 29-26. And, you know, th- that was a beautiful play to escape. The, the Chiefs' uh, defensive rush and against a pretty solid blitz play and still managed to convert that two-point conversion. I thought that was really remarkable, and I think it really showed how good Josh Allen was. But I digress. It's 29-26. Mahomes comes back out on the field. And who does he hit? He hits, I would say, the fastest man I've ever seen in an NFL field. Maybe Randy Moss, you can fall into that category. Maybe Bo Jackson. But I would say fastest man of this generation finds Tyreek Hill for 64 yards and the Chiefs take the lead back he weaves in and out Chiefs get the lead by four unbelievable play I just I I, oh my god it was just you saw him just blistering his way down the field for that score it it was so remarkable I mean it's it's unbelievable how Tyreek Hill has become I would say the most effective playmaker in the NFL just because of the way he can get down the field so quickly. There have been performances by Tyreek Hill that we have not seen from any receiver in NFL history besides Randy Moss or Jerry Rice. I mean, these single-game performances that we've seen from him, we've seen games where he gets 150-3, and three, two, uh, 180 and three, um, almost 200 yards and two touchdowns. And, you know, that play right there just shows how amazing he was. He weaves in and out of the Bills' defense, and the Chiefs get the lead by four. So now now we got 49 seconds left. Three timeouts for Josh Allen, okay? this is He's got an opportunity, right? And he marches his team down the field. Gabriel Davis for the 19th touchdown. And it's his fourth touchdown of the game. 201 yards. Unbelievable performance by Gabriel Davis. Greatest postseason performance by an NFL wide receiver. And 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 it looks like it's over, right? This is this is it's over. You get the you have 13 seconds on the clock. The Bills come off with an amazing drive. They make effective utilization of their timeouts. It's over. Josh Allen comes up with one of the one of his the greatest drives in postseason history. Bills take the lead, but there's 13 seconds left. There's 13 seconds left, and it's it's just we always talk about you can't give a guy like Aaron Rodgers two minutes on the clock. You can't give a guy like Tom Brady two minutes on the clock. 
Then there's 13 seconds left. You think, oh, oh, you can't give, that's too much time for Patrick Mahomes. You think that's crazy, but it's not. In 13 seconds, he finds Travis Kelsey. He finds Travis Kelsey for the first pass, gets it down the field again. 13 seconds left. He's at his own 25-yard line. He gets down two plays, and they're within kicking distance. Harrison Bucker sticks the kick, and we go to overtime. I, 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 it was, it was amazing. It was just unbelievable how back and forth this game went to cap off just a phenomenal weekend. I mean, it, it was, it, there's 13 seconds left in your own 25 yard line. You need two six second plays, not even, you need two four second plays. You need to get out and make a two quick 40, 50 yard, 40 or 50 yards of yardage to get into the, uh, to get into uh, field goal distance for Butker. And he does it. He does it with, with, without even blinking twice about it. And it just, you know, I think a lot of people question the talent in the NFL now. I think, you know, people don't see it as as amazing as it once was like 10, 15 years ago. I think those questions have to be gone now. The, the, the talent that was seen on the field over the last four games or so eviscerates that argument. And you could say now that the talent in the NFL is as good, if not better than ever. And Mahomes puts it in 36-36, tie game, we're going overtime. And, you know, now... Now we're at the controversial point because now it's a coin flip. And you have these two offenses who are absolutely killing it. They have established the, the run game, the pass game perfectly throughout the entire game. They have, it could have been a game if you have college overtime rules where the score could have been something like 120 to 106 and 100 to 113 or 142 to 135. I know that's a little crazy, but it just, it's just to illustrate how amazing these offenses were. Uh, it was unbelievable how they just scored every single time in those last one minute and 54 seconds. And, you know, when you have the coin flip, who's going to get the ball? Whoever gets the ball is going to win. And the Chiefs got the coin flip, and the Chiefs won the game. And they scored. It took them, what, a minute, two minutes to, to score? I mean, he find, uh, Mahomes gets it down the field pretty quickly. He finds Kelsey into the end zone for an eight-yard touchdown pass, and he sends his team to the conference championship. And this was... It came down to the coin flip because you knew whoever got that ball was going to sink a touchdown because, you know, it was the offenses were so hot. I mean, this, this, there was no possibility that I thought that they were going to kick a field goal. This, this was a touchdown or bust drive. And, uh, there was a touch, it was a touchdown or bust, bust drive and they pulled it out. And, you know, the Bills, Bills fans, if you, if you were in Orchard Park or you were in Buffalo right now listening to this, I, I'm sorry. I am legitimately sorry for you because you had what has, I would say, the greatest moment in Buffalo Bills football since making the Super Bowl back, since making those four Super Bowls back in the early 90s. And, you know, I know they didn't win any of them. It was that's why sort of Buffalo is this passionate fan base, because they've had to deal with such hardship over the course of their franchise's existence. Um, but, you know, this is their moment. This was their time to shine. You have the lead and you think it's over. And to have it come down to a coin flip and Mahomes just taking a quick, easy drive down the field. I'm sorry. I really am. It did not deserve to end that way for the Bills season, who will come back stronger than ever, I'm sure, next year. But I think that sort of point where you had all that momentum and to see it killed because the the coin came up tails, it's it's sad. And, you know, I hope the NFL uses this as a point to know that 
after this game, the rules are under scrutiny, and we need to maybe see some changes where both teams get the ball in overtime. And just some quick notes on this on this uh, Chiefs Bills game, by the way. Just just to note, the last two minutes of the Bills Chiefs game, right? We have twenty five points scored. That's more than the entire Packers 49ers game. That is two minutes of scoring in the Bills Chiefs game compared to 60 in the Packers 49ers game. That that just goes to show how great these last two minutes were. I mean, duh, that, that, that's obvious, right? But it also goes to show how both the weather and the the inconsistent play of the Packers and 49ers offense has really impacted that game. And, you know, when you have 25 points in two minutes compared to 23 points in 60. I mean, two completely different games, but I mean, it was, it just goes to show how no matter if it was a low scoring game or a high scoring game, all four of these games were some of the best I've ever seen. And I think anyone out there who is a football fan, you had the best, you had the time of your life watching these games. I mean, this is, this is why people love sports because of games like these. You have, you have four games that are slated to be good, and they turn into some of the best games in NFL history. For the league, th- this is peak. This is this is their moment. You have nothing else in the in in the sports world that could possibly overshadow this. And you know, th- this is so great for the league. But I also have to think that if you are the NFL right now. This is you have to capitalize on this. This is you. You have good marketing tactics with you know the Nickelodeon game in uh, in previous weeks when they had that wild card game. That's good, you know, getting a younger audience into it. But you know these last four games are why people love sports, as I said. And I I couldn't imagine anyone anyone who loves sports to not be excited by what has happened over the last two days or so. And personally, I just I loved every minute of it. So. So great to see the NFL coming into coming into its own with these last four games. And you know, as I mentioned earlier, I wanted to talk about two things before we move on quickly to the um to the Hall of Fame ballot in the MLB. I wanted to mention a couple things in terms of both the implications for Brady and Rogers going into this and sort of uh, where it stands now for them going into the offseason for both of them, as well as the overtime rules that has really sort of, that sort of stands out as sort of the question that has to be answered by the league uh, in terms of what they're going to do going forward because, you know, it seemed like Buffalo getting lost as a result of this is so unfortunate. But let's first talk Brady Rogers, right? So Brady is going into now his birthday. I think I, I honestly have memorized this by now. It's August third, nineteen seventy-seven, and uh, it, it's uh, it's. This is this is now a point. Tom is turning forty-five. I said forty-six. I apologize. It was he's turning forty-five now, going into this season. It, it's now you have these reports coming out that say Tom Tom is not. This is not. Tom is thinking about hanging it up. Let's face it, he is, and. You know, when you have all this success over the course of your career, uh, you know, there are a lot of questions that have to come up in terms of what his plan is going forward. I don't think he wants to go out this way, blowing a not well, not blowing a lead. Well, just not being able to finish a comeback uh, because Tom Brady was this is this is Tom Brady. This is what he has been for his entire career. And, you know, 
you're at the point now where you're thinking he might hang it up, but he's still at the peak of his performance. It's amazing that he he was the contributor to the Patriots dynasty. He is he gave life to the New England Patriots organization. He has given life to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers organization, and the fact that he could hang it up while still being at the top of his game. It just goes to show what an amazing talent Brady is and what we've seen over the last 20 years or so. I mean, I don't know if he's going to hang it up, as I said earlier, but I think people have to think that this might be the time. I've seen if you if you've ever seen if you've seen the reports, by the way, it's also people talk about his wife. Um, They've seen that, you know, Giselle wants to wants him to retire. That's that's sort of like the factor here that he might. Um, that he might retire as a result of what his wife and family wants. Um, but if I had to make a prediction, let, let's 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 uh, let's sort of pan out what might happen here. I think next year will be his last season. I don't think anything after that. He wants to play until he's forty-five. I think next year he will go for one more shot. He'll put it all on the line this year, the last dance, all that kind of stuff. This is the year that he will try. He will attempt. This will be his final year. And you know what? If it is, whether it's not, he will go down as the greatest quarterback in NFL history. If he wins another Super Bowl, it will further cement him as the greatest quarterback and arguably one of the greatest players the game has ever seen. And another Super Bowl would just add to his And, you know, let's face it with Brady. People love him. People hate him. And regardless, he's still the greatest. But... You know, his retirement would really be an impact to the league. You lose your face, you have to sort of replace that with a guy like Mahomes. And also, on the Roger side of things, because he's also, I would say, another big face of the league, you have him going into a situation where he could leave. He There is a very good chance he will leave the Green Bay Packers and he will be moving to a team like Denver or a team like Pittsburgh. And Rodgers is also still, at, I would say, the peak of his game. And I think he wants a new challenge. I think he's in the position Brady was two years ago where, you know, you're in a position where you want to make a change, but you don't want to leave the game. And, you know, it's you're in you're now you're looking for situations where teams need a quarterback and they won't get one in the draft so if you're Rodgers there are lots of options out there for you I mean you have a situation where if you're if you're Pittsburgh you know Ben is leaving you want another franchise guy who can come in there and do the same thing Aaron Rodgers is your guy and if you're on if you're in Denver situation I mean you have the tandem of Teddy Bridgewater and Drew Block right now who let's face it have sort of failed to live up to expectations I, I don't think that they were looking for you know a Super Bowl run but you would have thought they could have at least put together one playoff appearance or two with a wild card spot and they haven't managed to do that and I think they're looking for a little change up there so whether he goes to Denver or whether he goes to Pittsburgh Rodgers will stay in the league, or even whether he comes back to Green Bay, although I think that is the li- the less likely situation of all three that I have listed out here. I think that if you're Green Bay, I mean, you've had a great quarterback at the helm since 1996. Since Brett Favre, you've had a Hall of Fame quarterback. That is, any organization that can say that is is successful, uh, warranting all the praise in the world. I mean, and as I mentioned at the top of the show, uh, in the middle of the show, excuse me, Green Bay has yet to reach a Super Bowl in the last 11 years. And I think they want to make a change. And I think Rodgers, you know, is ready to make that separation from the team he has grown to, has grown from the, the bottom since 2008. And now you're in 2022, 14 years later, and it may be time for a change. So I don't know if he'll go to Denver. I don't know if he'll go to Pittsburgh, but I think he's going to make a change. And I think, you know, he may look at Brady 
Brady situation a couple of years ago as sort of the benchmark or the sort of the the model for what Rodgers is going to do next. But that's that's what I wanted to say on the NFL slate. I mean, this was the four, as I've said, I think this is now the third time I'm saying it. The four, some, I would say the four greatest games in a row that I've ever watched. It was it was great. It was unbelievable. I, I loved every minute of it. And, you know, as we come in on our last 10 minutes here, I want to just I wanted to get a little bit in on the Hall of Fame ballot for the MLB because, um, you know, you had a situation. You have a situation now where this this is it last day. And I think is it set? Yeah, I, I think it is. I think it's David Ortiz. He'll make it in first ballot. He's got it. I think he'll get 80 to 85%. And I think Bonds and Clemens will fall off the ballot. And, you know, there's a website out there, the Hall of Fame Ballot Tracker, which everybody goes to to see where the public ballots are standing right now. And by the way, we're about about halfway of the ballots. And Bonds and Clemens are in right now. They're at about 76, 77%, which gets you in the Hall of Fame. It would be, this This is it. That, that, that would happen. But with those other 50%, that is always where it goes down for Bonds and Clemens because these are the ballots that are from the older writers, the anonymous writers who will generally not vote for the steroid guys, guys like A-Rock, guys like Manny, guys like Bonds, guys like Clemens, guys like Sosa, and I can go on and on and on. These guys are integral to the history of the game and they will not be voted on by the older writers because of the cheating or the supposed cheating and the steroid usage that is associated with them. And you know, let's face it. It's a controversial argument. You you don't know whether or not they. Well, I think I think actually in this case you do know they they all took steroids. But the question is, was this a part of the game's history or was this legitimate cheating? And I, I think in in this cases it, it's both. I think in some cases you know when you have a situation like A Rod, A Rod was caught cheating twice. He served suspensions for his actions. Bonds never received a suspension. Clemens never received a suspension. They were associated with steroids at the end of and after their careers were over. It tainted their legacy. It doesn't necessarily mean that they were attempting to cheat throughout their entire career. They just felt it was a part of the game and that because so many other players were using steroids at the time, it was okay to do so. And a lot of players are in that situation. I think you can separate guys like Arod and Manny out there because they received suspensions and guys like Blondes and Clemens because they didn't. And I think there's a double standard to that because, you know, the, the whole point of this is they all took steroids. You should let them all in or you don't let any of them in. And, you know, when you're when you see guys like Pudge Rodriguez, Jeff Bagwell, Vladimir Guerrero, Mike Piazza, they all were associated with steroids in some way. Also, David Ortiz, you can lump into that category. They were associated with steroids in some way. And all of them got in on their first or second ballot into the Hall of Fame. Does that not surprise people? It should. They were associated with steroids like Bonds and Clemens, yet they make the Hall of Fame. It's a double standard. You either don't vote for them because they took steroids or you do vote for them because you think it was a part of the game. And, you know, when we look at it at the end of the day, you're going to see Ortiz get in being associated with steroids, but not necessarily in the same way Bonds and Clemens were. And I also think you also have to look at that argument in terms of the whole did the steroids influence their careers much enough so that they could make the Hall of Fame or they couldn't. And I think a guy like Sosa and Mark McGuire fall into that category where, you know, you have a career that was uplifted by steroids because of the home run totals. Bonds, uh, McGuire and Sosa had seasons where they hit over 60 home runs. That was unheard of for the time. And, you know, if you look at the steroid, the way that steroids influence 
players' abilities. It's about power and their ability to be durable and continue to hit for power. And guys like Sosa and Maguire hit for power for their entire careers. When they were 35, 36 years old, they were still blasting 50 home runs. And, you know, guys like Maguire and Sosa are going to fall off the ballot because they their careers were so influenced by steroids that they may not have made it without them. But think about all the arguments I've listed here. There are so many different factors that go into this. It's almost as if you have to make a judgment whether or not. Are you putting guys who took steroids in or are you not putting guys who took steroids in? And... You know, with the bond, with Bonds and Clemens likely falling off, we don't know. We don't know. It's possible they could get in. And, of course, there's also the nightmare scenario where Bonds gets in and Clemens doesn't. That would be extremely interesting to see how people argue that. And I think, you know, if we do have that situation, we're going to go to the Veterans Committee four years from now, and they're going to put Clemens in immediately. So that, that will be certainly interesting to see. But the bottom line is I think a lot of writers are – befuddled by this question and now you're at a point where this is you know do or die time for bonds and clemens you're to set you're at the 10th year on the ballot we don't know what's going to happen and i think at this point you know it's make or break and it looks like it's break and now going forward so let's 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 play pose a hypothetical scenario that i think actually is pretty likely ortiz gets in bonds and clemens don't roland gets really close helton gets pretty close jones and wagner make significant gains that's what i think is going to play out here we're going to have ortiz get in and you're going to have roland sitting at 70 percent helton in the mid in the 50s and 60s wagner and jones in the 40s and 50s and the rest sort of in the 40s and 30s and I think that's the likely scenario with this. And, you know, now, if you look at the ballot now, so let, let's let's think about this. The 2023 Hall of Fame ballot is not really adding any huge talent to the ballot. I think the biggest name that goes on the ballot is Carlos Beltran. And, you know, he he's associated, by the way, with the Astros cheating scandal, which is a whole other issue that I think the writers are going to have to address. But let, let's let's face it here. You are now in the, the 2023 ballot. The big steroid guys fall off, but A-Rod and Manny are still on the ballot. And I'll be interested to see how writers look at this. Are their vote totals going to go down now because we've established that steroids aren't okay to have in the league or to have in the Hall of Fame? Or are they going to go up because we want to see that change being made? And then on the Veterans Committee, guys like Bonds and Clemens get in. There's so many different, you know, vantage points you can look at this issue from. But the bottom line is that... Bonds and Clemens are probably not going to get in. And it's going to, you know, I think a lot of fans, a lot of younger fans are going to be alienated by this because I think the history of the game, honoring that history of the game, I saw that article from Jeff Passan this morning talking about, um, you know, how these steroids guys are integral to the history of the game and how their impact is so astronomical that they should definitely be uh, voted into the Hall of Fame. I think it'll be really interesting to see how people look at this issue going forward after Bonds and Clemens don't make it. And, you know, when you go into future years, you have guys like Beltre and Maurer and, you know, they're going to get on the ballot and they've never been associated with steroids and they're going to get in, I would say, pretty easily. But, you know, this is sort of the wave, by the way, this is sort of the wave where the steroid era is coming to an end on the Hall of Fame ballot. Uh, when Once Aaron and Manny leave the ballot, uh, that's pretty much it for the big steroid names. Um, I, I think Ryan Braun falls into that category, but I don't think he's a Hall of Famer regardless. Uh, but still, the steroid era is over, almost over. When, Spons, when A-Rod and Manny leave, it is over in terms of the Hall of Fame ballot. And, you know, the Veterans Committee is going to be the ultimate decider in this thing because I still don't think Bonds and Clemens are getting in. But definitely going to be interesting to see at the announcement tonight whether we see a situation where... 
people talk about Bonds and Clemens being snubbed or, you know, they were deserving, but certainly going to be very exciting to see. But that's going to do it for this weekend in Death on Sports. And I'm actually, these last two minutes here, I'm going to do a little preview of what's to come. We're going to have Marlon Smith is going to be joining us next week to be talking some basketball stuff. Uh, we're also, of course, we're going to know who's in the Super Bowl next week. It's going to be exciting. Uh, February 2nd uh, is our next show, and we are going to be talking Super Bowl preview, AFC and NFC championship games. Hopefully, they live up to the hype as, uh, as these last four games. Although I think it's going to be pretty hard to top what we had this week, but definitely going to talk a lot with that. Um, there's also a little progress on the lockout. We might actually see baseball before spring training. Is it possible? I don't know. Uh, I think I'm a little too optimistic with that, but definitely possible. And actually, uh, we're, as we're talking with Marlon Smith, he is a former Penn State point guard. He's going to be talking with us about basketball, some of the stuff we discussed in our previous interview with Zach Carson. But we're going to talk to him as a coach, the coaching perspective, and as a Division One athlete. Definitely going to be interesting to see his perspective on the way that the NBA has changed. We're going to be getting into how the NBA stands right now. We're going to be doing a little more of that in our next week's show. But thanks for listening, everybody. We will see you all next week, and I hope you have a fantastic week. Thanks, everybody. See you next week. Oh, and uh, also, uh, before I go, uh, lots to, uh, one final thing to mention here. Uh, we will hopefully continue to be in the studio, but uh, things could possibly change. We don't know. We could go to an online format only or a studio format only. Uh, we will have to see. And also, thank you, uh, Information Producer Henry, for getting me all the information for this week's show. I really appreciate it. And, yeah, that's going to do it. Thank you, everybody. See you next week.